This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what inspired Canadian Thanksgiving? Canadian historian Peter A. Stevens takes us through the origins of the Thanksgiving holiday, the surprising agendas that were behind it, and why it's so different than the American tradition. Turns out you can enjoy Thanksgiving dinner without eating thousands of calories. Holistic nutritionist Alyssa B. takes us through healthy Thanksgiving recipes you need to try this year and how you can make the most of all your leftovers too. Plus, are you okay with farming, New York, and Vegas? Those stories are unrelated, by the way. Three different ones, just so you know. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. If you are okay with farming, it's a tough game. Farming. I didn't really understand just how tough of a gig it was until I watched TV shows about farming, like just documenting people's lives on those farms and. Uh, how much a day a harvest can fluctuate due to one bad week of weather and and that stress is mind blowing to me, but it's also fascinating. And I got a better uh, understanding of why people do it too by watching all those shows, like Clarkson's Farm, for example. Uh, so yeah, very okay with farming and you know food important to you know live all that fun stuff. Yeah, I would say you're right. Go ahead, BK. Yeah, back in late 2000s, I was a coffee bean farmer in Brazil for what? No, I was. I was waiting to see you guys. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I think we can... there's no way. <laughs> okay, so now I've never been a farmer, but I've had. I do have great appreciation for farmers. Uh, you know, but uh, they do. They do. They keep the food going, and that's very mm-hmm. important. They do. They do do the good work. And it's quite amazing. Now, I realize watching a TV show might make you realize how much work farming is. I have a sneaking suspicion until you actually do it. We truly don't have an idea what it's like. I have never done it, but it seems like a lot. Farmers, though, and we judge a lot about farmers, right? There's an awful lot of talk about, you know, firearms and farmers and all these things in Canada. What the city people don't realize is that if you're living an hour away from a police station, wouldn't you want to have a baseball gun and a rifle around just in case everything bears burglars all that stuff right you would think well of course if you're going to steal something why not steal something from the middle of nowhere where you're an hour away from cops right so for farmers they deal with life in a way that city people cannot understand theft can be a problem because they are often in the middle of nowhere and a very unusual theft in rural Alberta has family members, neighbors, and RCMP calling into action and all working together. There were some thieves. They tried to sell stolen canola that they took from a farm. They literally broke in and they started cranking out the canola into a canola truck, a big old truck. They even sent police on a car chase while driving a grain truck. Douglas Dennis has been farming for decades, and this was a first. My neighbor had noticed a truck going by and an auger being pulled by a Jeep, and he thought it was something strange for the time a day. He stores his canola in an area south of his house, so we went to check it out. I climbed up and looked in the bin, and there was, I don't know, 600 bushels or so out of it. Which is worth about $4,000. And a stolen grain auger was sitting next to the bin. At this point, neighbors began texting and posting online about it, warning people to keep an eye out for a grain truck. It's just everybody kind of working together and looking out for each other. The canola was stolen north of Donalda. Within a few hours, neighbors learned someone was trying to sell it at a Hutterite colony west of Bashaw. Members of the colony were suspicious and contacted police. The Hutterites tried to stall it off as long as they could, but of course, the guys got nervous and... And fled. A police chase then began. An RCMP helicopter and dogs were used to track the fleeing grain truck. 20 fences and hills and bush and whatever later. Eventually, a spike belt stopped the truck south of Buffalo Lake, and a second arrest was made in Mirror. Some of the grain was dumped on the road, but in the end, Douglas got most of it back. It's already in Saskatchewan because we had a truck booked to haul it out the next day anyways. A bizarre story, but one that shows the power of community. The good side of it is, too, it it does make people more aware. Kim Smith, Global News. So just to be clear, if you want to try to rip off a farmer, 
using a green elevator, which is like a machine that's like a small conveyor to to lift up the stuff. Don't do it with a Jeep. Apparently, farmers don't use Wranglers to move their equipment, more like a pickup truck. So that was the first tell. Got to try to fit in. Jesse James Lyman McDonald, 33, of Stetler, faces 14 charges, including flight from and obstructing a police officer, possession of a weapon for a dangerous purpose, and trafficking. Second Stetler man, Tristan James Ruby, 36, faces 16 charges, including nine charges of being unlawfully at large, as well as possession of a weapon for a dangerous purpose and trafficking. The two men will both remain in custody until they appear in court in Red Deer on Tuesday. Now, when you go to jail, you got to have a good story, right? What are you in for? I stole some grain. I don't know. It just doesn't, yeah, you know? There's no way you can make that sound badass. Like, even if you had, like, a I stole some grain from a farmer, led the police down a, a wrong chase down in my grain yeah. truck. It just sounds, it's just not there. It's just, yep. you stole grain, dude. Like, I'm Drove sorry. Drove my grain truck not... down a gravel road, got it up to 35. <laughs> Well, hit, a sp- hit a spike belt. They could probably join like the tax evasion gang in jail. Oh, that could yeah. be right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. White collar crime people. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, um, wild story. They got the stuff back, but it is a great example that even on the rural, you know, communities, there still is community, which I think is pretty cool. Are you okay with what? Let's start this story in the right way, shall we? Are you okay with New York? New York? Oh, New York. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I would never, ever in a million years live there. Never. Like, just never. But would I love Mm -hmm. to see it for like five days? Yep, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I've never been. I love the... The urban sprawl and the sky, city of skyscrapers, that's like pretty cool to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, just a visit for me. Just a visit. Just a visit? Hmm. Yeah. I've been once. Um, I would uh, live there if I got like a big time New York job. Like I was a, I don't know, one of those pundits on, on, a, on a show. And, you mm-hmm. know, they're like, okay, now here's BK's take on farming um but uh outside of that no <laughs> i wouldn't just live there our farming expert yeah Brennan Kelly, farming expert brennan kelly who grew up in st Catharines in a mid-sized city and then moved to a bigger city and he's now the expert on farming <laughs> wow okay, very good I, I i i can feel it happening right now in fact i'm sure there's somebody listening that's going this is my guy right now yeah call me he's gonna be my yeah <laughs> This is the guy. New York City, the city that never sleeps, the Big Apple, known for its sights, sounds, tons of flashy screen marketing, and of course, crowds of people. And we bet Frank Sinatra did not have this in mind when he sang his New York, New York song. Two women were attacked early Sunday morning on a New York City subway. Their assailants were six women, all dressed in full neon green bodysuits. A video of the assault shared on social media shows the group, which had been dubbed by media the Green Goblin Gang, punching and tossing two 19-year-old women on a subway train near Times Square around 2 o'clock in the morning. En masse, this group of neon green spandex-wearing women just, like, flooded the car. I spoke to the woman behind this cell phone video shot around 2 a.m. Sunday morning inside the in train at 42nd and Times Square. These two poor girls were like having to take on like 10 women and it bled into the car and no one really knew what was going on. This incident, the latest in a rash of violent attacks inside trains and around stations caught on camera. Do you think that the the violence is getting worse? Yes, it is. It's getting worse and worse every day. I showed the writer this latest attack, like a scene at a Gotham City. Oh, my God. What are the things that we were doing to, to take care of something like this? What are the measures that we're putting in place? 
That's from Fox News. The assailants escaped the scene with a cell phone and a handbag, police told uh, the New York Post. The NYPD Public Information Office told HuffPost that the bodysuit-clad women escaped the subway and are still on the loose. Detectives reportedly told one of the victim's parents that they've seen the attacker's social media pages. You know, it's not funny because they got assaulted. But I do kind of think part of it's funny because if they could only do it in front of a green screen and record it, you wouldn't see the assailants. You would only see the people reacting to the assault. And that's, that's, that's funny. What's even weirder is that their hair is like visible. So they're in the full body suits, but they cut out the eye holes and holes for their hair. So it looks really weird, like very unsettling. And so if you did on the green screen, it would just be floating eyes and floating and a, hair. A ponytail or something. Yeah. worse. I know. The, uh, it's hard to escape the subway after that when you've got your uh, when you've got your green bodysuit on. Just saying. Yeah. I was really bad in college for wearing blue before going in to do the TV hits in front of the blue screen. And, like my mm-hmm. tie would be missing. And actually, fun fact, if you zoom in really close to my face, my eyes are missing. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Hey, yeah, green eyes. Hey, that would go. That would be a thing. Yeah. I have green eyes, so my eyeballs right. would be missing. Huh? Are you okay with? Oh, oh. We're going across the country now and setting the scene here with Vegas. Are you okay with Vegas? I'm about to find out. Going for the first time in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. I I honestly don't know what I'm gonna think. A little bit of money in the casino, check out the giant malls, go to some shows. I, I, I like the idea of a city that's basically just to come and party. That's kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to check it out and see if it lives up to how it is portrayed in the three million movies I've seen that are set in Las Vegas. There was a video that was uh, put on social media from the top of a tower that showed, you know, a pool like the the normal family pool and then it showed the dj club pool in the afternoon and one had nice clear water and the other one was all murky and gross oh god it was terrible okay i will be avoiding the murky pools during my stay (laughs) (laughs) i've only been to vegas once and it was on a drive to california stopped in vegas in june and it was 46 degrees celsius in the day it got down to a lovely low of 38 at night and it was it was uncomfortable to walk the strip at night in the middle of the night and as we were leaving the next day got a deal stayed at the bellagio did some gambling lost you know like six bucks i didn't gamble much of course um six dollars but as we were leaving yeah as we were leaving the next day 46 degrees again and there was cars on fire on the interstate because it was so hot yeah so i wouldn't suggest going in june no no i have a a friend here in calgary they have a place there and they go spend the summers there and i'm like what are you doing like you can't even walk outside without shoes on it's like yeah you burn your feet portal to hell she would melt Oh, man. Uh, casinos, smoking, alcohol parties, soon to be Ryan O'Donnell. This is the way of Vegas. You know the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas until Ryan comes back and talks about it on the shift. This story did not stay in Vegas. It actually went viral. A man decided to ditch his car and take his camel through the drive-thru instead. This happened in Vegas last night. The handler says the camel is a rescue from Colorado that now lives in a sanctuary in the Vegas area and loves to eat french fries. As you can imagine, the camel drew a large crowd. No word on whether he got his fries animal style. Aww. Who doesn't love a good camel? It's ABC7. Here's some facts about Vegas. Uh, famous Las Vegas Strip uh, is not located within the city limits of Las Vegas. The Strip is actually comes under the jurisdiction of Clark County. Vegas is considered to be the brightest spot on Earth, thanks to all the neon and the lights. There was a great show. It was one of those how-they-do-that-kind-of shows about a company mm-hmm. that that's what they do is they repair all of that neon way up high, and they do the rappelling mm-hmm. and stuff to fix those things. That was cool. Um, and camels, you might be shocked to learn, are not actually native to the Nevada desert. Oh, wow. In case you were wondering. Ah, oh, dang. Wow. Thought I would have known. Hey, man. The shift is here to educate. 
Mm-hmm. Are you okay with satire? I I like satire. Uh, the only time I didn't like satire is, I don't know if they do it anymore, but there was a season when CBC used to have basically their news and then their satire shows all on the same page, and you couldn't tell what was what. Like, because they have some pretty good oh. satire shows, right? They do. And um, they do some pretty good articles when they do their sales comedians, when they do their satire. But yeah, it was all on the same page. And you're like, is this news? Is this not? And you'd like click and you're like something totally wild, right? Uh, like uh, Justin Trudeau bungee jumps off of the parliamentary library. <laughs> what? And then, oh, yeah, okay. That's a funny show. So as long as it's satire and clear that it's satire, I think it's pretty awesome. Stuff. Yeah. Well, it was like back in the day when I used to look at my Twitter feed and like a Beaverton story would pop up. It's News, like, the news cycle has kind of gotten to the point now where it's hard to decipher sometimes. I'd have to double take and be like, is this a satirical headline or a real one? Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, we just had a game show president. Like, what else? Like, (laughs) like, what's next? (laughs) Careful what you ask for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there are two uh, websites that do an amazing job of satirizing the news. One is The Onion, and the other is what BK mentions, The Beaverton. Beaverton is fantastic. The Onion claims to have over 4 trillion readers and also named King Kim Jong-un as the world's sexiest man. But this story is no joke. The Onion's team has filed a an amicus brief with the Supreme Court of the United States. The amicus brief is an individual or organization who is not a party to the legal case, but who is permitted to assist a court by offering info, expertise, or insight that has bearing on the case. What does all this mean? The satirical news site is filing that in support of Anthony Novak. They're supporting Anthony Novak, a man from Parma who created a parody social media account in 2016 that looked nearly identical to that of the Parma Police Department. Novak was arrested and charged with a felony, all to later be acquitted. Shortly after, Novak filed the lawsuit against the police involved, but it was thrown out by an appeals court. Right now, Novak and his attorneys want the Supreme Court to take the case, which is why The Onion sent a brief supporting what he did back in 2016. They don't want the same thing to happen to them. Oh, wow had no idea that was wkyc news now the onion made this very direct argument about satire to the supreme court which which is interesting simply put for parody work it is has to be plausible it has to plausibly mimic the original the sixth circuit's decision in this case would condition the first amendment's protection for parody upon a requirement that parodists explicitly say up front that their work is nothing more than the elaborate fiction but that would strip parody of the very thing that makes it function lawyers the onion cannot stand idly by in the face of the ruling that threatens to disembowel the form of rhetoric that has existed for millennia This is particularly potent in the realm of political debate, and that purely incidentally forms the bias of The Onion's writer's paychecks. That's from The Onion. They clearly hired a lawyer because that's not very oniony. But it's kind of cool that they see what this could be and what this could represent to them. And they're going to hop in on it. I mean, obviously, they're covering their own butt, but they, they raise a very valid uh, point and it's kind of the YouTube even has this all the time where people will paradise something and it will get immediately copywritten by the mm-hmm. original you know creator but it's parody you, it's different and so the laws around parody are getting really muddy right now around the world so it's kind of cool that a big one is happening big argument could be happening towards it I think it's a, I think it's great just to be clear Anthony Novak if you are a footy fan of the footy is not the Canadian Premier League football player who I believe most recently played with Cavalry FC Football Club, which is Calgary's uh, Premier League uh, football club. Just got to be clear on that one. That's not part of the satire. That's the r- l- real guy. That's a different guy. Good? Awesome. This is the Shift Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving. Sometimes we just throw it about we don't mean it. And sometimes we really mean it. You know, we find some gratitude. We're grateful. It's a pretty cool time of the year. It's it's sort of the end of the year, really, when you think about it. Because 
it's the bounty. It's all of your hard work all year coming to fruition. Now you get to enjoy it and spend time with your favorite people. Fast forward to today's times, maybe not your favorite people. They might just be your family. That could be two different topics. We can get into that too. Our guest right now is a historian. He's professor of liberal studies at Humber College in Toronto. Peter Stevens joins us here on The Shift. Happy Thanksgiving, Peter. You too. Thanks for having me. You have some history of Thanksgiving in Canada that you can help us understand and share with your your historian nerdness that uh, that you embrace and love so much. What? Um, where do we start about Thanksgiving in Canada? I think the preconceived notion is a couple of things. There was a little bit of history that was Canadian, unique, Indigenous, and Canadian, and then there was this overflow of the American pilgrims. Is that fair, or are we missing a whole bunch in the middle? <laughs> well, I guess kind of like a Thanksgiving meal itself, it's got a, a wide variety of different flavors that have been all brought together, I think is one way to think about it. Um, and the Thanksgiving that we have now has sort of evolved in a lot of different ways since its origins, which really in the Canadian context go back to around the time of Confederation when Canada was really coming together as its own uh, separate country. So uh, the basic story of Thanksgiving was it was uh, connection and peace. There was a bunch of people in a new land. They were meeting new people. They didn't know anybody. There was this sort of common theme of creating and building home, building community and belonging. Um, that's my hippie self coming together there, but that's really what it was. And then this became sort of a gathering of all of those pieces, wasn't it? Well, what you've sort of recounted there is largely the American story sure. and certainly sort of the myth- the mythology that surrounds the uh, the American Thanksgiving. And if, you know, you're a kid who's grown up in the United States, that's a story that you get sort of drummed into you through the school mm-hmm. system from a very young age. Um, and um, to the extent that, you know, a lot of Canadians are aware of those things as well. But in, in fact, the Canadian Thanksgiving has its own separate origins. Um, and uh, was perhaps inspired by the American Thanksgiving. But the imagery of pilgrims and uh, sort of this nice feast that brought the indigenous people in and all that kind of stuff is really uh, American mythology that doesn't at least originally have a lot of relevance to the Canadian context. It kind of filtered in later, Mm. uh, simply because as with (laughs) as with so much in Canada, we are ultimately shaped by a lot of American culture. And I think uh, the the ways that uh, American Thanksgiving traditions have sort of bled into Canadian ones is, is another example of how we get shaped by uh, events in the United States. Absolutely. So what is different then? What do we need to know as Canadians? I think most Canadians are okay with the notions of what is the basics of Thanksgiving. I think we can take it to the next level and we understand how it, it literally impacts us today because of our past. So what are we missing and what do we need to know? Yeah, well, let me take you back to the 1850s, late 1850s. There's sort of a buzz in Ottawa um, and politicians from the various, at the time, British colonies are getting together and planning this new idea, which is to create a separate uh, country, which ultimately becomes Canada. And that's a process that, you know, takes a number of years uh, to come to fruition. But while all of that's going on, there's a lot of, you know, buzz about it. This is not something that is a hidden secret or anything like that. And it's a period of time in which uh, religious leaders, and in particular uh, those in the Christian church, have tremendous influence in Canadian society in a, in a way that I think today is hard for us to fully wrap our heads around. Um, and you've got these ministers who are thinking, well, gee, if we're starting up a new country, I want to make sure it's a good Christian country. Um, so they're quite anxious to make sure that they are in positions of influence in this new country and that they play a role in shaping the the fate of this country. Um, and just to be clear, uh, this, that sounds a bit cynical, but these were people, these were men of oh, faith who really believed that. I don't think it's um, cynical. I think it's pragmatic. I think that, um, you know, that it, it, I mean, that is the types of things that happened before and people had agendas. And I think it is important that we acknowledge it because it has changed today. It creates that low contrast. I think Peter, just in listening to it, mm-hmm. I, I say that to acknowledge, I think your work that it does create some contrast to how far we've come. And I, I, I think that's really cool that we mention it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. Um, the, the what was interesting about Thanksgiving is that it kind of gives these guys an opportunity to um, uh, sort of stand behind the pulpit and talk about things that they wouldn't 
usually be able to talk about on a typical Sunday, such as the emergence of a nation and the idea that Canada as this, uh, well, originally as this sort of um, planned nation and then after Confederation, this this, you, this new nation. Um, they're trying to set the agenda and tell Canadians who they are because when you create a brand new country, it's not always clear who that country is, who are those people. Uh, and from the perspective of these um, church leaders, Canada was a uh, a land of destiny and they were uh, determined to get Canadians to uh, fulfill their great destiny, which in their mind meant being good Christians. And uh, that was uh, a top priority for them. Um, the other thing that was going on around the same period is um, Charles Darwin had just published his On the Origin of Species, which, of course, put forward um, evolution and natural selection as sort of alternative uh, explanations for the origins of life. And at the time, it created a real crisis within Christian circles because it challenged what the church had said about, um, you know, the nature of, of, of life and the origins of life. And one of the ways that uh, Christian leaders sort of brought Christianity and sort of reconciled it with Darwinian thinking was by looking at the ways that God had shaped the natural world around everybody. And the fall harvest really was this perfect illustration of that, because you could look at the bountiful crops that have been brought in. You could look at the fall colors and say, well, look, that's God doing that. Um, and fine, we can talk about evolution, but it's God that's kind of pulling the strings. And what we need to really do is celebrate uh, all the work God has done in the here and now in this world. And Thanksgiving allowed them to do two things, in other words. They were able to use the, uh, the imagery of the fall harvest as sort of a metaphor for Canadian uh, prosperity in general. And they were also able to couple that with this sort of uh, challenge to Canadians that they would fulfill this great national destiny if they stayed true to their uh, Christian roots. And Thanksgiving allowed them to talk about these things in a way that they probably couldn't have gotten away with on a typical Sunday morning. So this becomes good church marketing, you know, for a lack of a <laughs> lack of a better term. Is that a, just a good access point to remind you that, you know, these are the, the ways of the book? Well, I think what it does as well is give them an opportunity to um, bring people into the church in a different way. Uh, what happen is these uh, Protestant ministers in Ontario started lo lobbying the government of the day to create this separate day of Thanksgiving in recognition of the harvest. And um, eventually the government uh, agreed to do that and it created the separate holiday. Um, but the services that would happen uh, on these days were uh, spectacles compared to a typical uh, Sunday church service. They would have all sorts of decorations that alluded to the fall harvest, um, as well as, um, you know, uh, the Union Jack and, and sort of British insignia and that kind of a thing. Because a big part of this story as well was trying to tell Canadians that they may be part of a new country, but they're, they're ultimately British as well. So uh, celebrating the British connection was a big part of this. Um, and using the sort of the imagery of the of the fall harvest to uh, turn it into a spectacle. Um, some of these churches were, would, uh, instead of giving a typical sermon, you might have a cantata or something like that. And what we saw during this early period, and I'm thinking here sort of the 1860s, 1870s, is that you've got much larger crowds showing up for Thanksgiving church service than would be the case on a typical Sunday. So it really becomes sort of a, a high point, a celebration uh, on the on the on the calendar. And it is a way for people to bring some of these elements together. Uh, you know, the the Christian references, the British uh, connection and this this vision of a great uh, new country that was sort of unfolding at the time and to have the ministers of the day celebrate those things from the pulpit okay so sunday church day god's day uh good access to bring more people into the church so i'm now you i said you were being pragmatic earlier you watch now this is going to get real pragmatic now <laughs> so we have access to market let's call it for what it is people membership is key so inside a church membership is key for the success of the church regardless they need to have membership in order to continue to be sustainable so now they have an opportunity to be sustainable people are coming in what a great way to do it
well, people on the outside are going, this whole Thanksgiving idea is a really great idea. We need to jump on the Thanksgiving train too, pun intended. And then Thanksgiving did move from a Sunday to a Monday, eventually a little over 100 years ago. I'm going from what I've read and learned because of more marketing and other people wanted access to this market so they could also well, I don't say profit, but at least benefit from it as well. So what came next? And am I onto something here? Yeah, definitely. So again, this is a period of time in which uh, most working people enjoyed uh, at most half a day off each week. So you've got people who are working six and a half days a week. They don't have many opportunities to sort of really relax and enjoy themselves. Um, so when a holiday comes along, that's a really big deal. Uh, so, so that's one of the factors. Uh, the other thing you've got starting by the sort of mid 1870s is that people start getting wind of these American Thanksgiving traditions and thinking, Hey, um, we should do some of that too. So things like the, the, you know, the family gathering, the turkey dinner, later football games, uh, social events of that sort, um, you know, that's obviously got appeal to Canadians as much as it did to Americans. And increasingly, uh, people start using the holiday for those kind of get togethers and also to, you know, go to urban amusements, go to movie houses. Uh, well, not yeah, movie houses, vaudeville theaters, whatever um, social activities uh, to indulge in urban amusements, because it's one of the rare opportunities that they have uh, during the year to actually uh, do that. So. Uh, it starts to broaden beyond that sort of uh, narrow and fairly, um, uh, you know, Christian-focused holiday. Uh, and actually, I should say Protestant-focused as well, because there was actually a strong sort of anti-Catholic um, side to these sermons as well. And, and actually, that was part of it, because um, you've got the Protestant churches who were originally lobbying for it, and that leaves the Catholics up. Yeah. But it turns out that the Catholics wanted Thanksgiving as well, and there was one year where uh, they declared Thanksgiving Day for what was a uh, a Catholic fasting day. And the Catholics were all up in arms because they weren't allowed to have their turkey dinner that year because of the, the date of, of Thanksgiving. Wow. And, and what I think is interesting about that is that you've got Catholics saying, well, hang on, we want to have our Thanksgiving as well. Um, and, and that shows how uh, the appeal of it is broadening uh, far beyond the sort of original narrow Protestant groups that were celebrating it. And also the sort of definition or the meaning of the day is starting to broaden as well. It might be oversimplification, um, but I mean, you did have Protestant heavy England and the Church of England. Um, then you had the Catholic heavy Ireland, right? And you have that whole thing going on through all of this. So it seems to make sense because of what happened with the Catholic Church and the Pope and the King and the uh, and the wives and the divorce and the things that led to the Protestants. That brings you to this Catholic versus Protestant scenario that clearly is spilling over politically into the colonies, into the New World, and into the West. So that seems to, that kind of all adds up with how far back that it goes. Um, our guest here chatting is Peter Stevens. He's a historian. And when we talk about Turkey, though, now, when at what point, because you, you sort of said about Thanksgiving was Thanksgiving, then it became this sort of family gathering day off scenario. And then it became um, marketing because, you know, the trains wanted people to move and families to get together. So at what point did Turkey, did the people getting on trains was an opportunity for trains to make money? Did the Turkey come from the U.S. and that storyline? Because before that, it wasn't just all about Turkey either, was it? Yeah, so the Turkey is definitely an American uh, innovation. And um, when you go through the sources, once Thanksgiving becomes more the permanent holiday in the Canadian context, um, you know, people who are writing for newspapers and stuff like that start looking across the border and they're saying, hey, well, the Americans have this huge turkey dinner. That seems like something we should do as well. And um, and yeah, Canadians are, are quick to adopt that. So yeah, its origin is, is the United States. But what's important to note here is that during the early years, um, basically prior to 1908, um, the holiday was very deliberately in the middle of the week. It was on usually a Wednesday or a Thursday, precisely because the church leaders who had lobbied for it didn't want it to become some big party or some day of debauchery and drunkenness and all this kind of stuff. Oh, that's um, not fun. But of course, once the holiday orig once the holiday becomes a an annual event and people start uh, seeing the appeal of, of family get-togethers and stuff like that, um, they're thinking, well, you know, 
having a, a holiday on a Wednesday doesn't really work because I can't go to the next town over to visit my family uh, and, and get back in time necessarily. So increasingly what happens by the end of the 19th century is that certainly the railway companies and then many citizens as well start saying, well, why don't we turn this into a long weekend? So instead of having Thanksgiving in the middle of the week, we can turn it into a proper long weekend. And that way people can go out of town to visit friends and family for Thanksgiving. Um, and ultimately, in 1908, that's exactly what what happens. And the uh, the government stops listening to the, the church leaders and instead listens to business leaders who are saying, hey, uh, this is way more convenient for people. And by the way, we can also make a lot more money if we turn this into a long weekend as opposed to having this uh, day in the middle of a week. This is so fascinating. I love it. It it actually kind of breaks my heart a little bit because it goes to show how the, the, the faith influence and then the capitalism influence really took over on a really great idea. So we have turkey and we have ham and there's the honey, there's a roast goose. There's all kinds of things that get involved in what is the history of the turkey, if you will. Um, ham to me, and I'm, this is, I'm asking for your thumbs up or thumbs down on this notion that I have. Ham to me seems to be a longer in history scenario because you can cure it, you can deal with it differently and preserve it before refrigeration was more common. Turkey wasn't quite the same way. So you had to have your turkey, kill your turkey, eat the turkey. A goose, the same thing as a replacement for turkey. Fast forward to today's world. The one thing that they all have in common is, slow long cooking day long preparation get ready for it invest in it and be part of it that seems to be the common thread between all of the history of the thanksgiving foods is that just a wild fa- a dream of mine or did i just make that up no there's definitely i think there's definitely a um, i think you're probably on to something and of course this would have meant an awful lot of work usually for the women of the household so that's one of the things with a lot of these holidays it's uh there's a gendered component component in the sense that sometimes the men are off at the you know, off at the pub for a few drinks and, and, and mom's back home in front of the oven all day. Um, so that's one element of it. But the other thing is that if you've got, you know, a situation where you've got people from out of town who are sort of all coming together, then you might have a house full of people. And while that and cooking can be a very social activity as well. And while that stuff's cooking, people are also, you know, getting reacquainted and spending time with loved ones and that sort of a thing. Um, so uh, you know, the length of time that it takes to cook something speaks to both the importance that people place in the day, because you're not just throwing some meal together, you're making it a special meal, uh, which is generally, you know, in, uh, more time consuming to prepare. Um, but also, I think there's a practical component to as well. There's a, a social uh, side of it, potentially. Um, and like you you point out, it's the time of year when uh, the goose is at its fattest, so to speak. Um, and uh, it, it makes sense from from that sense as well. This is all fascinating. I didn't even know as I was preparing for this that there was an era in the States, I think it was during the Second World War, where they did no poultry Thursdays, no eggs on Thursdays, uh, because there was rationing. And that spilled over because, uh, first of all, eggs and pies was a thing for Thanksgiving. And no poultry meant no uh, no, uh, Thanksgiving turkeys and all of this stuff. So again, the political really steps into this one more time and controlling what that even looks like. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fascinating side of it for sure. Absolutely. It's amazing. This is amazing. Okay, well, yeah. our guest is Peter Stevens. He's a historian. Um, this is it's a really great story, and we need to know it because in order to – I sort of subscribe to this. It's with all things in life. In order to truly celebrate something, you almost have to tear it down to the nuts and bolts, understand how you got here, and then build it up and make it your own. I think that's really important. So I think that's – I hope that's what everyone's takeaway is when we talk about all the politics and religious people – that get involved in that. I will ask this, Peter, for Thanksgiving for you, what's the most important piece of the puzzle for you? Is it the meal, the people? What is it? Well, yeah, it's, it's sort of the combination. I mean, for me, really, it is the sort of perfect uh, coming together of, of, of family, of, of food. Uh, it's a time of year. It's my, fall is my favorite time of year. Um, so it's, you know, still beautiful out. You can still do things. Um you know, and it's sort of this last gasp before winter sets in, in a way where everyone can kind of get together, but still spend time uh, outside. And, and and actually, I mean, this is something we haven't talked about, but, you know, of course, Canadian Thanksgiving happens in October these days. And, and largely that was precisely so that you could have it early enough so people could actually spend time in the parks and stuff like that. If we waited until the end of November, like the Americans in many parts of Canada, it's just too cold to really enjoy the, the day. 
Um, so again, we're, we're talking about practical decisions and there was another one right That's there. That's so amazing. Uh, yeah, for me, I think it's the, it's the days are beautiful enough to get stuff done and be outside and make a weekend of it. I remember going to my parents' cabin and we'd be working really hard getting ready for winter and, uh, you know, chopping up firewood and doing all those things, but it was still nice enough where you didn't have to be bundled up. But when you came inside, it was still cool enough outside that when you came inside, it felt warm. It felt inviting. It, and all those pieces really come together for me. That's what it is. It's that walk into the home when someone's preparing. I do like preparing the meal myself. And then when people come in, I like seeing their faces when they come inside when I'm on the, the other end of that. So that's the cool part of the weekend this weekend. And I guess, is it safe to say, Peter, that everyone gets to make it their own. That's the magic of it. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, if you look at more recent times, what's interesting is that we were talking about food earlier, but you know, there's a whole um, movement now with people doing ethnic variations on turkeys, for example, bringing their, whatever their, uh, their, ethnic background is putting a particular spin on on the turkey um or or you've got the vegetarians who are eating these tofurkeys instead of uh turkey and stuff like that so you know it's and you know i know it's thanksgiving has become a a protest day for the people of PETA and and groups like that so the politics is still there in a different way um but i think yeah it is something that kind of gives us a template these days uh in contrast to the sort of fairly narrow vision of thanksgiving that the protestant leaders began with now we've got something that's a lot more loose and we're sort of free to make of it what we will. Gratitude always wins, Peter. It always wins. <laughs> and it's, it, it's true. The world comes together and there's a little gratitude, no matter your faith, no matter your background, no matter where you are and, and a chance to be with those people and be grateful. I am grateful, Peter, for you being so generous with your time and sharing your, your expertise um, in all of this. Thank you so much for this. And I do wish you a, a heartfelt happy Thanksgiving. Thanks so much, and thanks once again for uh, letting me share this. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, we tiptoe up to Thanksgiving, and we get to talk about food. We have a real opportunity this year to do that because cost of fresh turkeys and access to fresh turkeys is up. Inflation has price of food up. Access to food is a little bit different this year, and access to dollars for food is different this year. What a cool opportunity to maybe try something different. Nourished.ca. The link is up at shiftheads.ca. If you want to connect, Alyssa B. is here. It's uh, it's all food all the time with a pretty cool chance to try something different. Alyssa, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. I'm excited for this weekend. I'm. It's going to be a busy weekend here. We've actually got more stuff to do outside the house than we do in the house. Well, but it is it is the cooking time. It is the kitchen time, and that's always nice too. Any big plans for the weekend for you? Yep, same here. Lots of uh, roasting vegetables. Uh, my husband does the turkey, and um, we love Thanksgiving around here. It's a big holiday for us here and um, a lot of cooking and a lot of extra leftovers. So it really helps to have these, you know, big meals, these milestone big meals and then eat for days. So it kind of mm-hmm. takes the burden off cooking for the following week. So I like to do yeah. I like to do these big meals because it takes the burden off of fresh cooking for probably at least four days afterwards with the amount of food that we do cook. The uh, that, That's a good reminder, actually, when you're cleaning it up, and you have that big giant mess and the turkey grease and all the things. Yeah. And you just remind yourself that this is going to feed me for days. I only have yeah. to do this one time. That's a good reminder. Yeah. And, you know, you, you start in the show talking about uh, food costs. And so a great reminder now is to really use what you buy. Eliminate as much food waste as possible and really use what you buy. I mean, turkey, especially if it's a free range turkey, um, once the, the meat has been carved off and once, you know, every, you have eaten everything or have all the meat that you need, you know, turkey broth is so incredibly nourishing and you really just need, you know, the bones. I don't really like the word carcass, but just the bones. And it's very simple to do a beautiful gut healthy bone, bone broth with the bones of the turkey. So you just then- get a huge, huge colander. Um, and, and put the, put the bones in it, fill it with water, all the scraps that you might have used uh, for cooking, like the onion skins, the celery, 
uh, roots that you haven't used, all those root vegetables and, and scraps of things, you can just put it right into the big pot with the turkey bones, salt, pepper, all the stems of the parsley, whatever, you know, food scraps that you do have, put in that pot because it all has nutrients in it and put in about a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. And that really helps the minerals come out of the bones and really? into the into the broth. And then you basically have this, you know, you simmer it for as long as possible, hours, a day, whatever works for you. You can even do this whole thing in, in a slow pot or an instant pot. Um, so you can get the most out of the food that we're buying because yes, indeed, life is getting expensive and, and fresh food and turkey and, and good quality food is getting more expensive. So I'm really, along with my mission to you know, help nourish you with the foods that you're getting, but let's use the most out of out of the foods that we're buying. I mean, there's no reason to throw away the stems of the parsley or not use the skins of the onions because there's still nutrients in there. Yeah. So that's a great tip um, for everybody who is cooking turkey or if you're a vegetarian and not cooking a turkey, you can actually do the same thing with the vegetable food scraps. So, yeah, okay, just clarify a couple of things. I mean, you're not proposing that someone eats the butt end of a celery, I mean, because you're going to strain that out at the end, right? That's to yeah, cook yeah, it, you, get all yeah, the nutrients so out of it. Cook it, get all the nutrients down. So you have to simmer that for at least five hours. And then you strain it through a colander and you have a beautiful, beautiful broth that you can either sip on, and which is extremely nourishing to your gut microbiome, which is in your stomach lining. Or you can use that to make your rices, to make your quinoas, to make anything that you boil grains in, your beans, whatever that may be. And you will get, I mean, if you have a, a decent sized turkey, if you're using turkey, um, you will get quarts of this very nourishing bone broth. It just mm -hmm. makes me feel better that I'm getting the nutrients from that's left over from the bones because, you know, throwing away even that is is hard. But once you once you know that you're getting all the nutrients out of it, then it's easier to, you know, to discard it in the trash because there's really nothing left. You won't, you, you really um, boil it down that the bones actually become super soft. So there's nothing else you can do with it. So you're using the whole animal. And if you're just using the vegetables or you are using vegetables in addition, obviously you are, and you're using all the veggies too, all the scraps. Very cool. And uh, then there's a myriad of recipes you can take. If you want to just do soups on top of using, I love the uh, cooking rice with the broth. I mean, that's one of my favorites. But mm -hmm. then, then that doesn't even get us started in what you can create out of soups with adding fresh veggies back in and getting started that way. Oh, yeah. Then you have a great soup base using this much, much healthier nourishing broth that you made yourself. And it also feels really good to know that you've made that yourself, right? Yeah, very cool. Well, and it's so cool to have it and be able to be like, uh, you know, it's there and then you start making more food out of it and it goes and goes and goes. I have a question about the turkey for you because you're more of a veggie person than yes. you are a meat person. Um, yes. How does that work in your house? I mean, your husband makes the turkey and does all that stuff. Um, so you have to still make the veggie end of the meal that works for you. But then there mm -hmm. are other family members that also like the turkey. So uh, it's a blended family of meat and uh, yes. non-meat eaters. It is a blended family. I've got uh, three vegetarians in my house, and this is just my immediate household. And then I have two meat eaters in my house. Um, I normally am, I only cook plant-based in my house, but on special holidays and what like that. And my husband, you know, he loves cooking turkey. So I'm American. He's Canadian. He makes both, you know, American and Canadian Thanksgiving for us. Um, everybody who wants turkey can eat their turkey. And everybody who doesn't want turkey, uh, I make a so many veggie dishes that I'm full up with all the veggies. So I don't, I don't, I don't miss it. And if there's that chance that one holiday, I'm going to have some Turkey. If I know where the Turkey's from and I know it's raised properly, then I'll have a bite of Turkey. Don't need to label myself, but I am mostly plant based. Yeah. Well, and that's such a good reminder for everybody. Like you don't have to put yourself into the box. Yeah. So you important. have to listen. So important. You have to listen to what, your body is craving unless it's for a hundred percent ethical reasons. I appreciate and admire um, all the vegans out there. Um, absolutely. A hundred percent. That's a different kind of standpoint, but listening to your body is really what should be um, the number one thing that should be your guiding principle when you eat. Cause if you truly listen, you're able to feel what you need. Um, you will be guided in the right direction. Your body is never going to tell you, to have 
you need is never going to say eat more sugar. Your body is always, if you truly tune in, your body's always going to going to lean towards what serves you and what yeah, serves your body. So good. All right. Nourish.ca with Alyssa B. What else can we look forward to this weekend? Some tips and tricks on healthy, nourishing Thanksgiving. My favorite recipe is on my website. It's called the Worm Winter Salad. And I just posted about it today on Instagram as well. It is a showstopper for anybody who's coming to the dinner table, whether a meat eater or a veggie eater or non-meat eater. It's simple. It's easy. And it is one of the most nutrient diverse recipes I have out there. And it's everything that's in season right now. So we're talking about beets. We're talking about sweet potatoes, red onions, um, carrots, Brussels sprouts, all the fall goodness that we, that we have right now. And you basically roast everything up and toss it in a salad dressing garnish it with some arugula because I always want to have more leafy greens, those some parsley and some pecans, walnuts, or pumpkin seeds. And if you want some cheese on it, you can put some goat cheese on it for a little bit of extra flavor. But honestly, it's the one dish that I can double it. I can triple it. It doesn't matter. It just is always gone. In fact, when I go to reach for the leftovers, there's hardly any warm winter salad left. So if you are cooking, this is one not to be missed. And it really, it, it hits every single mark. It's a little time consuming because you have to, you know, cut all the veggies, but I mean, aren't all these recipes. So you have to cut veggies up. It's kind of the beauty of prepping the, prepping the, the turkey on that Monday morning or that Sunday morning, whenever it is that you make it. So that's a big one that you need to get to. I also have another quinoa salad for anybody who loves quinoa. And it's a Thanksgiving quinoa. It has all the Thanksgiving flavors cranberry, pumpkin seeds, Brussels sprouts, apple cider vinegar, and it just comes together and you really, you feel the fall seasons. And again, very nutrient dense and very, very um, plant-based forward and very whole food. So if you're looking for some healthier, but absolutely delicious op- options, those are my two absolute go-tos and easy and good um leftovers as well like really easy just to heat up again you know day three in it only gets better with the extra time okay so can we adapt this one though can we remove the brussels sprouts of we course just... why are you not a brussels sprout person uh, nobody's a brussels sprouts person you know what that's because your grandmother probably forced you to eat them the way these are roasted they actually almost caramelize and taste sweet and then you put it into a delicious yummy salad dressing and it is you won't believe they're brussels sprouts that's the old version of just boiled nope. and put some salt on there you're like no, no you're that not is having true it. no i'm not having it but you are right but here's the thing i hear from everybody every year oh just wrap them in bacon bacon and bake them but no that's not the case you don't like brussels no. sprouts you just like bacon right so right <laughs> right that that's that's what it is you don't like the brussels sprouts but i um I you have tried with your out. advice, right? A little yeah. bit of olive oil and cut them. I cut them in half, a little bit of sea salt and then bake them. I like them when they get a little bit crispier that way. Yes. Um, but I don't, I still, when you get into the core of it, it's like, I can't do it, Alyssa. You can't do it. I think it's, 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 a, it's a childhood trauma maybe. However, have you tried and hopped on the air fryer uh, trend? Have you tried uh, them I do. in the yeah. air fryer? No. Okay. No, I don't think that... I could do that to my air fryer. I feel like that's an insult to my air fryer. Oh, come on, Shane. You could you could actually very well do it. Then it gets even crispier. So try it. I don't know. You could do I it. Feel yes, like you I feel like I physically feel uncomfortable by your idea. Well, then That's why the don't you just... Thing. Okay, you know what? Then if you can't push through that, which I get, um, let's just not put the Brussels sprouts in. You don't have to put the Brussels sprouts in. And that's a great, great tip for everybody listening. If there's something, if you're following a recipe and... There's something in there that like you just can't do. Make it work for yourself. You know, omit mm-hmm. it and make it work for yourself. Well, and plus you've also said, you know, if you have more leftovers that are in the fridge, feel free to use those up too. That's also another thing um, to oh, get some stuff for, in there, right? Like other wedding, veggies for, and stuff. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And again, these these winter vegetables like the celery and the carrots and all of the beets and sweet potatoes, these things don't really go, they don't go bad, right? So mm-hmm. you could just buy them ahead of time or 
buy them if they're on sale. You know, I don't I don't see many things going on sale right now, but I did just see celery going on sale. And when we're having sales now, I'm buying it up because as we talked about before, like price of food is just going through the roof. So but another great shopping tip with these carrots and celery and potatoes and um, squash and sweet potatoes. Anytime you see something on sale, then buy it, buy extra of it because these things keep for, you know, at least two or three months. Yeah. Now here's uh, one thing we've chatted about this before with Alyssa here on the shift and uh, it's a great reset to do it again. What an opportunity because you said earlier taking nourishing moments and literally taking advantage of it. That's really what Thanksgiving can be for you, uh, regardless of the party and the family and all of this is a really good chance to reset your diet in what you're eating. You have a list of do's and don'ts for Thanksgiving, including things like the mindful eating. That one always stays stays with me is when you're at the table, be present to the people, but also be present to the food. And that's a really big start when you talk about listening to your body. So let's talk about some of the do's and don'ts, Alyssa, mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. where we can really have the opportunity to take our our meals, our diets, and just really start fresh here. Yeah, well, you know, when it comes to these big holidays, these gatherings, these, you know, family time uh, get togethers, like a lot of the time you have an emotional eating component to it as well. You have family favorites that you used to always have. You know, everybody's got one of those very sweet potato with sugar and marshmallows and, and, and crumbled with, you know, uh, sugar pecans on top. What is your favorite thing? Ask yourself, what is the one thing that you just must have because it reminds you of a great childhood core memory? And eat it and enjoy it and don't feel guilty about it, but just take one serving of it, you know, take one serving of it because you are going to be fulfilled and the, all of that rush of the memories com- coming back, you're going to be fulfilled with like just one serving of it. You don't have to, you know, go back for four servings. You don't want to deprive yourself, but you don't have to think like, I need to have as much as I used to eat of it. Just take one serving and enjoy it. You know, that goes right into taking a bite and putting the fork down between every single bite. Usually what happens when we're at these meals is that there's, you know, a plethora of food. There are so many options, you know, how, how blessed we all are. Um, but just take small amounts of each thing and you don't have to finish it. It can go, <laughs> I'll go into the Turkey curry at the end, you know, you just put it in and it becomes one big curry, but you know, going back to being mindful, putting down your fork, focusing on conversation, um, piling less on your plate that you might be used to, you know, our plates have, have really increased in diameter over the years. In fact, there was a statistic out, um, that our plate diameters have increased 30% since the 1940s. So our plates get bigger and bigger, the plate size. So our portions become bigger and bigger. So we don't have to fill the whole plate. You know, you pile your plate up high, the, those old commercials. Like, you don't have to do that. Just take a little bit of each thing, take a bite, and put your fork down and slow it down. Since you brought it up about the plate size and the, the portion size, I was present just this weekend to, you know, those little takeout rice boxes mm-hmm. that they stuff the food mm-hmm. into? If you don't do this, I recommend trying this so you can see how much you're eating. When we go get one of those little rice boxes, they're not very big. They don't look very big, but they really stuff the stuff in there. They're big, and take yeah. That, the, yeah, and then dump it onto your normal plate. Do whatever plate you normally eat on. And take that box of rice. If you're if you're just maybe going out, you're by yourself, you're not doing a big meal this weekend, you go to your Thai Express or whatever and get some rice and some stir fry, right? Some you want to bail stir-fry. out of Thanksgiving? Bail out of Thanksgiving. Yeah, you're going to bailing. <laughs> so for those people that are bailing, take that box of rice though and dump it onto your normal plate of food. Because normally you'll get a box of rice and then maybe you get yourself some ginger chicken and whatever. And then... If you put it all onto one plate, you will see how much food it actually is because we lose the context of what we eat, whether it's this takeaway situation or this gigantic slices of turkey plus mashed potatoes plus sweet potatoes and all of the things that get mixed in. We lose complete context when we do it the opposite way than when you're describing. Uh, I think that's a brilliant idea and a great way to manage portion control and that's another really big thing is 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 portion control um but those you're right those rice containers 
look like they don't hold much because they're packed down there and, and rice kind of can pack down. It's actually very dense if it's packed down. You'd be astonished, right? If you finish that whole thing, I, I can't imagine how full you would be. And I can't imagine the after effects of, of what that fullness gives you, bloating, cramping. And, and that's another thing, Shane, that I wanted to you know just help people, remind people that when you eat really fast and you're not putting a bite down, um, your body does not have the time to signal to your brain that you're full. And if you just continue to eat and you put, then you finally, okay, like, hey, I'm, I'm full, you've already eaten too much. When you feel that full feeling, you've already eaten too much, which puts your digestion in overload, which is really hard on the body, really, really hard to digest and do its job. So the slower you eat, and again, this is a habit. Um, the better off you are able to hear what your body is telling you to do. This so, is so good. So slow down and be able to, to listen to your body. Um, and when you get into that full point, just stop. Like I always like to tell my clients, you don't have to eat till you're full. Eat until you're about 80% and be done and be finished because your body will, you will be so much better off. That whole concept of turkey pants, it, 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 it's so bad for the body. <laughs> It's mm -hmm. so bad for your digestion and you are putting yourself in, as I said, it's overload. And when your body, especially if it's, you know, six, seven o'clock at night, whenever dinner time is, you're going to have hard time sleeping, hard time digestion, uh, bloating, cramping, eliminating your whole body's out of whack. So stop before you're full. So it's the 80, 20 rule. And then well, one I more thing, one more thing, which is so yeah, important. Yeah. If you're able to, and, and there is space, you know, in your, in, in the night, in the evening, and, and you're able to do it outside after you finish the meal, take a walk, take a walk. Um, if you walk after you you eat, you help your digestion, you help your blood sugar levels and you help your body come back to homeostasis. So a great family activity, a great company activity, take a walk. Good. Good advice. What I was going to just add there was that we went and we did get takeaway this weekend, Mel and I, and we had um, three dishes. We were we hadn't eaten all day. We said, "Well, yeah. tell you what, let's no, get three dishes." No, I don't dishes. like that. That's not good. Well, I know that wasn't good either. It was a crazy, crazy day. And we said, well, let's get three dishes and then I'll have something later for leftovers. So we got yeah. three dishes of just takeaway. It was actually Thai Express is what it was. It was the closest. And um, but for the two <laughs> of us, it, I'm not judging. I know. It's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, of all the decisions to make, it was. Uh, lesser on the terrible scale than some of the other ones we could have got but the, uh, we got for. three dishes we got two rice dish we got a rice dish a noodle dish and a soup and dish, it actually turned out dish. to be five meals for us once we put oh. it on plates and split it up because we put it on plates then we ate then we saved the leftovers there was uh two meals one for each of us for dinner then i had one before the show started a soup five hours, six hours later, and then Mel took it to work the next day, and there were still leftovers after that uh, for a little snack after that. So it just goes to show the volume of food that you could actually accidentally eat. That's fantastic. So not only are you getting, you know, you're, you're practicing portion control with that by taking out of the containers, but you're also like, you know, takeout is not cheap anymore either. That is going up. You're getting better bang for your buck. That's almost like batch cooking, right? Yeah. You're able yeah. to, you know, really, really like, really get get more out of what you bought yeah and i, I and it does make me present to the people who eat alone and that's difficult for those who eat alone because there's nobody to talk to to put your fork down and everything else so it is extra yes. difficult for for the people who eat alone if you do have somebody that you can eat with i consider having company to eat um even joining on a, a facetime call or something like that so you can do it mm -hmm. not that everybody wants to watch a facetime meal but talk to somebody that will help as well. I was really present to that this weekend because when you do get into that conversation, your manners start to kick in and the shoveling slows down. The shoveling, the shoveling. And ever, you know, we're all prone to it because a lot of people eat at their desk and I get that. But yeah, the biggest thing that you can do before you start that, before you start that meal is just, again, take a moment, step away from what you're doing, whether that's uh, desk work, whatever you're doing, and sit and be present with your food. And I know I might be a little woo-woo here, but really connect into breathing, how you're feeling, perhaps talking and, and feeling a little bit about gratitude of what we're able to do. And it really does slow down um, the nervous system and it allows you to actually absorb your, your nutrients better. So 
slowing down. And we all have a hard time with that because we're always trying to move on to the next thing. And I still get that. And I'm a culprit of it too. But if you are able to just be more mindful in everything you do, including food and making it more of um, a sacred ritual eating, um, it, it will help everything that you do for food wise. It will help you feel satiated faster. It will help you with better digestion. Better digestion leads to less stomach issues, less elimination issues, less sleep issues. It all starts from and stems from how you eat your food because what we eat our food is super important. How we eat is almost as important. So slowing down, connecting to even if it's takeout, you know, even if you didn't, you know, obviously cooking, cooking really helps you connect to your food. But even if we can't get to that, just slowing down and, and taking a moment, shutting it off, tuning in instead of tuning out. I mean, my God, if we all tuned in more, as opposed to tuning out, looking for distractions from ourselves, the world would be a much more peaceful place. So tune in, you know, we want to change the world. We all, we all want to, you know, stop this madness that's going, you know, going around. But if we, if we tune in first, we can, we can, we're better able to, you know, hear ourselves. I love it. Well, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, there's a piece I wrote this summer that I don't think I've shared with you that I have shared here on the radio before. Um, it, it goes like this, and it, it, this summarizes what you just said, and I think it's good because it is Thanksgiving, so why not be grateful? Mm-hmm. It is, love is the word that we use to render the experience of presence and connection. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. maybe we could give that a try this weekend. Alyssa That's B, it's nourished. That is so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to put all the links for all the recipes individually on our shiftheads.ca. So you don't even have to navigate for them. They will just be there for you to click on and learn more. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for being here. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.